This is a recording of, And the meek shall also increase, the verb yasap in Isaiah 29, and Nephi's prophetic allusions to the name Joseph in 2 Nephi 25-30, by Matthew L. Bowen. Published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture. Read by Victor Worth. Abstract. Beyond his autobiographic use of Joseph's name and biography, Nephi also considered the name Joseph to have long-term prophetic value. As a Semitic Hebrew name, Joseph derives from the verb yasap, to add, increase, proceed to do something, do something again, and to do something more. Thus meaning, may he, God, add, may he increase, or may he do more, or again. Several of the prophecies of Isaiah, in which Nephi's soul delighted, and for which he offers extensive interpretation, prominently employ forms of yasap in describing iterative and restorative divine action, e.g. Isaiah 11.11, 26.15, 29.14, cf. 52.1. The prophecy of the coming forth of the sealed book in Isaiah 29 employs the latter verb three times, Isaiah 29.1, 14, and 19. Nephi's extensive midrash of Isaiah 29 and 2 Nephi 25 through 30, especially 2 Nephi 27, interpretively expands Isaiah's use of the Yasap idioms. Time and again, Nephi returns to the language of Isaiah 29:14, "I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work," along with a similar Yasap idiom from Isaiah 11:11, 11, "The 11, Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip." to recover the remnant of his people. To foretell the latter-day forthcoming of the sealed book to fulfill the Lord's ancient promises to the patriarch. Given Nephi's earlier preservation of Joseph's prophecies regarding a future seer named Joseph, we can reasonably see Nephi's emphasis on iterative divine action in his appropriation of the Asianic use of Yesop as a direct and thematic allusion to this latter-day Joseph, and his role in bringing forth additional scripture. This additional scripture would enable the meek to increase, just as Isaiah and Nephi had prophesied. May God add, may he increase. The importance of the name Joseph to Lehi and Nephi and their successors as a prophetic name emerges in a dramatic way in a statement preserved by the patriarch Joseph on Nephi's small plates. Nephi records that Lehi recounted Joseph's prophecy to his son Joseph regarding a future seer named Joseph. And thus prophesied Joseph, saying, Behold, that seer will the Lord bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. For this promise, of which I have obtained of the Lord, of the fruit of my loins, shall be fulfilled. Behold, I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise, and his name, Joseph, shall be called after me, and it shall be after the name of his father, and he shall be like unto me. For the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. Second Nephi 3, 14-15 And footnote 1 indicates that the citations will follow Royal Skousen's analysis of textual variants of the Book of Mormon. Nephi's preservation of this text suggests that he considered the name Joseph, as borne by his family's tribal ancestor and his youngest brother, a name of great significance. Abundant textual evidence in the body of Nephi's writings corroborates this suggestion.
The Hebrew Bible offers an ideological explanation for the name Joseph, Yosep, in terms of two homonymous and, in some senses, antonymous verbal roots, asap, to gather, take away, and yasap, to add, to continue to do, carry on doing, to do again or more. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away, asap, my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, Yosep, and said, The Lord shall add, Yosep, is adding, to me another son. Genesis 30, 23-24 As Moshe Garciel has observed, the text of the Joseph cycle, Genesis 37-50, plays extensively on both verbal roots. In strict etymological terms, however, the Semitic Hebrew name Joseph constitutes a jussive causative form of the verb yasap, and, as a possible hypocharistic, theophoric name, means may he the Lord add, may he increase, etc. Book of Mormon writers, and Nephi in particular, evidence not only an awareness of the etymology and meaning of the name Joseph, but allowed the name and its meaning to inform their messages. In roughly the first half of his writings, roughly 1 Nephi 1 through 2 Nephi 5, Nephi casts himself as Joseph in his relationship with his jealous brothers, as one whom his brothers, quote, hated yet the more, Wayosipu owed, Genesis 37, 5 and 8, and again whom, quote, their anger did increase, cf. Hebrew Yasap, 2 Nephi 5, 2. In this article, I propose that Nephi's wordplay on Joseph extends well beyond his autobiographical use of the patriarch Joseph's name and biography, Genesis 37-50. through 50. In the latter part of Nephi's writings, a thematic and prophetic wordplay on the name stands at the center of an extended midrash on Isaiah 29 in 2 Nephi 25-30, through 30, and especially in 2 Nephi 27. Nephi's rich prophetic wordplay revolves around the name Joseph and its meaning, may God add, may he increase, may he give more, etc. Nephi uses and adapts the verb yasap, which occurs three times in Isaiah 29, verses 1, 14, and 19, just enough, in my view, to merit the description thematic verb, to expand and interpret the Isaiahic text in creative and important ways. Nephi recognized and exploited the etymological connection between the name Joseph and the verb Yasap, as found in Isaiah 29 and elsewhere in the Isaiah Corpus, e.g. Isaiah 11.11. Thus, in his Midrashic expansion of Isaiah 29 in 2 Nephi 27, Nephi also appears to expand and permute the use of the verb Yasap, or its scribal Egyptian equivalent, as many as six times in 2 Nephi 27, and in several additional instances in the chapters that precede, 2 Nephi 25, and follow, 2 Nephi 28-30. Isaiah 29-14, like the whole of Isaiah 11, including verse 11, emerges as one of the most important single texts used in Nephi's writings. For Nephi, the importance of Isaiah 29.14, like that of Isaiah 11.11, consisted in the Lord as the agent or subject of the verb yasap, undertaking iterative action to restore Israel and Judah from their scattered state and conditions of apostasy, their lost and fallen state. 
Moreover, the use of Yasap in Isaiah 29.14, I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work, should be understood in the context of the use of Isaiah 29.19, The meek shall increase, Weyospu, their joy in the Lord. Nephi understood that the Lord would proceed to do a marvelous work through a latter-day Joseph that would enable the meek to increase and have joy in the Lord in ways not otherwise possible. Thematic use number one. Add ye year to year. Isaiah 29.1. Apostasy. The first occurrence of the verb yasap in Isaiah 29 occurs as part of a woe oracle in the very first verse. Woe to Ariel. To Ariel, the city where David dwelt, add ye, sepu, one Q Isaiah has sepi, a singular feminine imperatival form, year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. Isaiah 29, 1-2 Ariel, sometimes taken to mean altar hearth, See the mention of the Har-El or Ha'ariel in Ezekiel 43.15, perhaps an allusion by assonance to Har-El, the mountain of God, serves as cognomen or code name for Jerusalem. Cf. the Er-Elam, priests or inhabitants of Jerusalem, Isaiah 33.7. Numerous commentators have posited a connection with the Akkadian term Aralu, the term for the netherworld, i.e. the spirit world, or the underworld and mountain of the gods, the altar for burnt offerings as the world mountain. All the foregoing would fit nicely with Isaiah's piled descriptions of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, speaking out of the ground, i.e. the spirit world. And thy speech shall be low out of the dust, i.e. the spirit world, thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit, i.e. as one channeling an ancestral spirit from the spirit world. Thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Isaiah 29.4 Here in Isaiah 1, 1-2, Isaiah uses the verb yasap in a distinctly negative description of Judah and Jerusalem's apostasy. Whether written sepu or sepi, the prophet mordantly commands Jerusalem to add year to year and to let the cultic sacrifices go around, yinkupu. In other words, Isaiah criticizes apostasy, hypocrisy, and sin in the observance of the Jerusalem temple's ritual sacrificial system and cultic calendar, as he does with equal vehemence in Isaiah 1, 10-15. Neither Nephi nor his successors quote the opaque text of Isaiah 29, 1-2 in the Book of Mormon. Nephi renders the name of Ariel that occurs in Isaiah 29:7 as Zion. In other words, the magnitude of the nations that fight against Ariel becomes all the nations that fight against Zion, 2 Nephi 27.3, cf. 1 Nephi 22.14, while the reference to fight against Mount Zion from Isaiah 29.8, remains unchanged. Whether the text of Isaiah 29.1-2 existed on the brass plates in something approximating the form attested in the Masoretic text, or the other ancient witnesses, Septuagint, Vulgate, Peshitta, etc., is unknowable, since Nephi eschews quoting it. 
In any case, Nephi likens the attack and siege on Jerusalem, Zion, described in the subsequent verse, Isaiah 29.3, to the eventual destruction of his own people, see e.g. 2 Nephi 26.15. The destruction of the Nephites, the condition of those who have dwindled in unbelief, the Lamanites, and general conditions of apostasy, Israelite and Gentile, described in Isaiah 29.1-13, necessitate the eventual fulfillment of the promise of iterative divine action mentioned in Isaiah 29.14. Thematic use number two. I will proceed to do a marvelous work. Isaiah 29.14, Restoration. The second instance of the verb yasop occurs at the rhetorical turning point of Isaiah 29 in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Isaiah 29.14 The expressions, do a marvelous work, or work a marvelous work, Hebrew lehapli, and marvelous work, Hebrew haple. The phrase marvelous work and a wonder is haple wapile, polyptotonic, are what usually draws our attention to this verse. The phrase marvelous work occurs at least 14 other times in Scripture. However, the active participle yosip, a form of the verb yasap, may ultimately represent the more important term here. This participle implicitly modifies the Lord as doer of the action. Hineni Yosip, literally, I am proceeding to do. As has been noted previously, this participle greatly resembles the name Joseph, Yosep, in form and sound. From a Latter-day Saint perspective, it is tempting to see Isaiah making a deliberate wordplay on the name Joseph, per ipsum. However, we can conclude with greater certainty that Nephi not only sees a reference to the name Joseph in this passage, but repeatedly uses and adapts it as such. I will discuss this possibility further below. Moreover, we should note that whereas Jerusalem, Judah, is the subject of the imperative form of the verb yasap in its very negative use in Isaiah 29.1, add ye year to year, Yahweh here becomes the one undertaking the action described in the active participle Yosip. In other words, Yahweh is adding, or proceeding, to undertake miraculous action that will in some measure reverse the devastating consequences of the apostasy mentioned earlier, Isaiah 29, 1-13, and described by the verbal form Sepu, Sepi. This miraculous action will necessarily involve the becoming or coming forth of the book that is sealed, Isaiah 29, 11-12 and 18. Thematic use number three. The meek shall increase their joy in the Lord, Isaiah 29, 19, the fruits of restoration. Isaiah answers his use of the participial form Yosip, modifying Yahweh in Isaiah 29, 14, with a third and final use of the verb yasap in Isaiah 29.19, where Yahweh undertook the restorative action of adding to do a marvelous work and a wonder in Isaiah 29.14. Here the adding is undertaken by those who benefited from that action, the meek. Isaiah prophesies, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase, weyospu, their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 29, 
The meek, anawim, now add or increase in ways that apostate inhabitants of Jerusalem and more broadly Israel and Judah did not and could not. They can increase without adding year to year in apostate or hypocritical cultic observance. See if again Isaiah 1.29. Brown, Driver, and Briggs note that Yasab can here have the sense, have more. Kohler and Baumgartner further suggest that the phrase Yasab Simcha, as an expression, denotes he has joy after joy. In Isaiah 29.19, however, the noun Simcha, joy, is separated from the verb Yasab by two words, Anawim, the subject, and Yahweh, the preposition in, plus the divine name Yahweh. In a slightly odd word order, which may explain why Nephi saw the line, Weyospu Anawim Yahweh Simcha, as constituting two separate phrases, See further below. In either case, Isaiah 29 describes a future situation involving a forthcoming book, an event through which the meek shall increase, i.e., the meek have more, Isaiah 29.19, corresponding to 2 Nephi 27.30. Isaiah describes additional fruits of restoration that will emerge in consequence of the forthcoming of the sealed book. For the terrible one is brought to naught, Apes, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. Therefore thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of thine hands in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name, and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. Isaiah 29, 20-24, corresponding to 2 Nephi 27, 31-35. Isaiah's use of the verb apes creates something of a pun on weospu in the previous verse. While the meek shall increase, weospu, the terrible one is brought to naught, apes, an opposite outcome. Isaiah prophesies that those who watch for iniquity and thus make a man offender for a word, debar, not least those who make the one through whom the Lord proceeded to bring forth the words, debray, of the book, Isaiah 29, 11, 18, an offender, would be cut off. This idiom evokes the penalty of excommunication mentioned throughout the Pentateuch, i.e., cut off from among the people. This language appears in Nephi's paraphrastic or variant quotation of Deuteronomy 18, 15-19. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that all those who will not hear that prophet shall be cut off from among the people. First Nephi 22.20 One of the most important fruits of the sealed book would be a restoration of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, to the Holy One of Jacob, i.e. the God of Israel. The words of the sealed book would help redress the recurrent apostasy of Israel and Judah. All of this enables the eventual total fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. As Nephi described it, And after our seed is scattered, the Lord God will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among the Gentiles, 
which shall be of great worth unto our seed. Wherefore it is likened unto there struck out, the being nourished, struck out, nursed by the Gentiles and being carried in their arms and upon their shoulders. See Isaiah 49.22. And it shall also be of worth unto the Gentiles, and not only unto the Gentiles, but also unto the house of Israel, unto the making known of the covenants of the Father, Ab, of heaven unto Abraham, Abraham, usually understood to mean father of a multitude, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. 1 Nephi 22, 8-9 Midrashic use number one. Nephi's first, Joseph, Gezerashawah, on Isaiah 11, 11, and 29, 14, in 2 Nephi 25, 14, parentheses, 2 Nephi 25, 17, and 29, 1, corresponding to Isaiah 11, 11, 29, 14. Isaiah 29, 13-24, corresponding to 2 Nephi 27, 25-35. Nephi's first unmistakably clear midrashic use of Yasop from Isaiah 29, 14 in his writings occurs in 1 Nephi 22:8. And after our seed is scattered, the Lord God will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among the Gentiles, which shall be of great worth unto our seed. Therefore it is likened unto there, crossed out, the, being nourished, crossed out, nursed, by the Gentiles, and being carried in their arms and upon their shoulders. Here Nephi interprets Isaiah 29.14 in terms of the description in Isaiah 49.22 of the gathering of Israel by the Gentiles, Goyim. Nephi exegetically substitutes the Gentiles for this people in the text of Isaiah 29.14. He does something similar with Isaiah 29.14 and Isaiah 52.10, again a few verses later in 1 Nephi 22.11. Wherefore, the Lord God will proceed, Yosip, to make bare his arm in the eyes of all the nations, Hagoyim, Gentiles, in bringing about his covenants and his gospel unto those who, crossed out, they which, are of the house of Israel. In two instances, Nephi appears to have directly interpreted Isaiah 29.14 in light of Isaiah 11.11. He appears to have done this on the basis of these passages' shared use of the term Yasop, and their nearly homonymous forms, Yosip in Isaiah 11.11, and Yosip in Isaiah 29.14. As noted elsewhere, this exegetical joining of two or more scriptural passages on the basis of shared terminology and interpretation came to be known in rabbinic times as Gezerashawah, although the practice antedates rabbinic times. Nephi thus begins his sophisticated and rich midrash on Isaiah 29 with an exegetical juxtaposition of Isaiah 11.11 and Isaiah 29.14. The Lord will set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, Isaiah 11.11, to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore he will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work and a wonder, Isaiah 29.14, among the children of men. Wherefore he shall bring forth his words unto them, which words shall judge them at the last day. For they shall be given them for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah, who was rejected by them and unto the convincing of them that they need not look forward any more, C.F. Hebrew Willow, Yosipu, Ode, for a Messiah to come, 
For there should not any come, save it should be a false Messiah, which should deceive the people. For there is save one Messiah spoken of by the prophets, and that Messiah is he who, stricken out, which, should be rejected of the Jews. Second Nephi 25:17-18. Nephi juxtaposes Isaiah 11:11 11, 11 with Isaiah 29:14, not only on the basis of their shared use of the verb yasap and the homophony of yosip with yosip, but perhaps also because Yahweh is the subject or agent of both verb forms. In other words, both passages prophesy of divine iterative action and divine restorative action, and all of this through a future Joseph. See Second Nephi 3, 11-16, especially verse 15. And Nephi offers more. The divine iterative action that will restore Israel from its scattered and displaced condition their lost and fallen state, speaking both in physical and in spiritual terms, will ultimately convince them of the true Messiah, such that they will not look forward any more for a Messiah to come. The literal remnants of Latter-day Israel shall no more again, lo Yosip od, stay upon him that smote them, but shall believe in Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah, on account of the work, and thus shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Isaiah 10.20, 2 Nephi 20.20. All of this will be done in fulfillment of promise. Nephi's subsequent statement affirms the foregoing wordplay on the name Joseph. Wherefore, for this cause hath the Lord God promised unto me that these things which I write shall be kept and preserved and handed down unto my seed from generation to generation, that the promise may be fulfilled unto Joseph, Yosep, that his seed should never perish as long as the earth should stand. Second Nephi 25:21. The promise the Lord made unto Joseph alludes back to the prophecy of Joseph preserved in Second Nephi 3. And great was the covenant of the Lord which he made unto Joseph, Yosep. Wherefore Joseph, Yosep, truly saw our day, and he obtained promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off. Nevertheless, to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord, that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days, in the spirit of power, unto the bringing of them out of darkness into light, yea, out of hidden darkness and out of captivity unto freedom. Second Nephi 3, 4-5, CF 1 Kings 8.21 Lehi's summary of Joseph's prophecy, offered just before he cites that prophecy, appears to have been colored by Isaiah 29, e.g., the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Isaiah 29:18, corresponding to 2 Nephi 27:29. More examples of this will emerge below. The Lord's promise unto Joseph included the promise that he would raise up another, Joseph, who would help make manifest the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to the seed, posterity, of the patriarch, seed that would include that of Lehi and his son Joseph. Joseph then emphasized that the name Joseph constituted something of a sign. The latter-day Joseph would bear the name of his own father as well as that of the patriarch. Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah, shall grow together. 
corresponding to Second Nephi 29.12-13, under the confounding of false doctrines, corresponding to Second Nephi 28.9.12-15, and, and laying down of contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, and bringing them unto the knowledge of their fathers, corresponding to Second Nephi 35. In the latter days, and also to the knowledge of my covenants, saith the Lord, and out of weakness he shall be made strong in that day when my work shall commence, corresponding to Second Nephi 38, among all people unto the restoring of thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. And thus prophesied Joseph, Yosep, saying, Behold, that seer will the Lord bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. For this promise, of which I have obtained of the Lord, of the fruit of my loins, shall be fulfilled. Behold, I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise, and his name shall be called after me, and it shall be after the name of his father. And he shall be like unto me, for the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. Yea, thus prophesied Joseph, Yosep, I am sure of this thing even as I am sure of the promise of Moses. For the Lord hath said unto me, I will preserve thy seed forever. 2 Nephi 3, 12-16 As noted in brackets above, Nephi repeats Joseph's prophecy extensively throughout 2 Nephi 25-30. Nephi's quotation of 2 Nephi 3, 14-16 in 2 Nephi 25-21 constituting another example of Seidel's law, i.e., a repetition or quotation of material in inverse order. It is specifically in view of the fulfillment of the promise unto Joseph, 2 Nephi 25.21, corresponding to 2 Nephi 3.14, that these things, the words preserved in the sealed book, shall go from generation to generation as long as the earth shall stand, and shall go according to the will and pleasure of God, and that the nations who possess them shall be judged of them according to the words which are written, 2 Nephi 25.22, that Nephi made his now famous declaration of why he and his contemporaries wrote, quote, for we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. Second Nephi 25.23 And we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Second Nephi 25.26 Nephi's Midrash of Isaiah 29 and the Lord's proceeding, Yosip, to bring forth the sealed book as part of a marvelous work, Isaiah 29.14, must be considered and remembered in this light. Midrashic use number two. The Lord God will proceed to bring forth the words of the book, 2 Nephi 27, corresponding to Isaiah 29. 2 Nephi 11 constitutes the closing bracket of Jacob's quotation of Isaiah and his sermon, 2 Nephi 6-10, through and the beginning bracket of Nephi's long quotation of Isaiah in 2 Nephi 12-24 through and 27. 2 Nephi 27 does not merely represent Nephi's quotation of Isaiah 29, but contains extensive interpretation or midrash on his part. Within the confines of his more detailed midrash of Isaiah 29 in 2 Nephi 27, Nephi begins his use of Yosip in 2 Nephi 27.14 thus, 
Therefore, the Lord God will proceed, Yosip, to bring forth the words of the book, and in the mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth him good will he establish his word. And woe be unto him that rejecteth the word of God. Nephi's statement, the Lord God will proceed, Yosip, to bring forth the words of the book, clearly uses Isaiah's language from Isaiah 29.14, wherefore I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work, corresponding to Second Nephi 27.26, see below. However, Nephi does not merely borrow the language of Isaiah 29.14, he creatively adapts it when he substitutes the phrase to bring forth the words of the book for the phrase to do a marvelous work. Nephi had already established a precedent for this kind of midrashic use of the language of Isaiah 29.14. In his earlier explanation of his use of Isaiah 48-49, he declared, Wherefore the Lord God will proceed to make bare his arm in the eyes of all the nations, in bringing about his covenants and his gospel unto those who are of the house of Israel. 1 Nephi 22.11 Here Nephi combines the auxiliary verb yosip, I will proceed, from Isaiah 29.14, with the language of Isaiah 52.10, The Lord hath made bare, chasap, his holy arm, in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Nephi's use and adaptation of Yosip in these passages suggests that he identifies the Lord's bringing forth the words of the book with the Lord's doing a marvelous work and making bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, as synonymous, or nearly synonymous. In addition to his incorporation and adaptation of Yosip, Nephi takes the phrase, the words of the book, from Isaiah 29.11, the words of a book, Dibre Haseper, which is sealed, and Isaiah 29.18-19. In the latter text, we also find another of Isaiah's uses of the verb Yasap, and in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, Debre Seper, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase, Weyospu, C.F. Joseph, their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. We should further note here that the phrase, And hear, Wesameu, the words of the book, further recalls the prophecy of Lehi to his youngest son Joseph at the end of his citation of the prophecy of the patriarch Joseph. And now, behold, my son Joseph, after this manner did my father of old prophesy. Wherefore, because of this covenant thou art blessed, for thy seed shall not be destroyed, for they shall hearken unto the words of the book. Second like Nephi 3, 22-23. In his use of the phrase, they shall hearken unto the words of the book, Lehi appears to quote Isaiah's statement, in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, Isaiah 29.18, cf. 2 Nephi 27.29, thus linking the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy regarding the book which is sealed to the future restoration of the descendants of his son Joseph. Nephi's declaration in the mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth him good will he establish his word, Second Nephi 27.14, invokes the Deuteronomic law of witnesses. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death, Deuteronomy 17.6. One witness shall not rise up against a man for an iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, 
at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter, debar, or word, be established. Yakum. Deuteronomy 19.15 Bruce A. Van Orden has observed that Nephi establishes a pattern of using the Deuteronomic Law of Witnesses throughout the book of Second Nephi. Nephi's invocation of the Law of Witnesses in Second Nephi 27.14 recalls his invocation of that law at the outset of his lengthiest Isaiah citation, Second Nephi 12-24. By 2 Nephi 11, Nephi had already brought together the Law of Witnesses motif together with the Asap motif. And now, Jacob spake many more things, words, unto my people at that time. Nevertheless, only these things, words, have I caused to be written. For the things, words, which I have written sufficeth me. And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah. For my soul delighteth in his words. For I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send them forth unto all my children, for he verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. And my brother Jacob also has seen him, as I have seen him. Wherefore, I will send their words forth unto my children, to prove unto them that my words are true. Wherefore, by the words of three, God hath said, I will establish my word. Nevertheless, God sendeth more witnesses, and he proveth all his words. Second Nephi 11, 1-3 Jacob spoke words, or things, that went beyond, or offered more, than what Nephi decided to record and preserve on his small plates. Then Nephi proceeded to write, or wrote, more, of the words of Isaiah, namely, the text of Isaiah 2-14 as a block, see Second Nephi 12-24, as a witness or testimony of the things, words, of which he and Jacob both testified. Again, this is significant because it frames the writing or bringing forth of additional scripture in terms of the Deuteronomic Law of Witnesses, especially Deuteronomy 19.15. Nephi reasons thus, in eschological terms, one prophetic witness by itself is insufficient to condemn any man or woman for any iniquity or for any sin. Thus, in the mouth of two or three prophetic witnesses shall the matter or word be established. Deuteronomy 19.15 Nephi will later apply the same logic to scriptural witnesses and the eschatological final judgment, a capital case if ever such existed. Nephi further declares that God does not limit himself to two or three witnesses, but sendeth more witnesses, or perhaps adds to send witnesses, in order to prove all his words. Scripturally speaking, Second Nephi 11 not only serves as a closing bracket for Jacob's quotation of Isaiah, Second Nephi 7-8, through and the sermon in which he embeds it, Second Nephi 6 and 9-10, through it further serves as an opening bracket for Nephi's longest block of quotation of Isaiah, 2 Nephi 12-24 and 27. Even here, the bringing forth of more of the Lord's word appears to revolve around the idea of yasap, to add, to do something more, and thus to the name Joseph. Midrashic use number three. The Lord God will deliver again the book. 2 Nephi 27.19, corresponding to Isaiah 29.12. The third passage in 2 Nephi 25-30 that plausibly reflects the Hebrew Yasap idiom also describes iterative divine action. In this instance, Nephi prophesies that the Lord will again, i.e., add, 
to deliver the book that is sealed to the unlearned man who will become its translator. Wherefore it shall come to pass that the Lord God will deliver again the book and the words thereof to him that is not learned. And the man that is not learned shall say, I am not learned. Second Nephi 27.19, corresponding to Isaiah 29.12. Here again Nephi mixes the language of Isaiah 29.14, I the Lord God will proceed to Yosip. With the language of Isaiah 29.11-12, the words of a book that is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee, and he saith, I am not learned. On one level, Nephi's Midrashic use of the do-again, proceed-to-do idiom explicates what he believes the statement, I will proceed to do a marvelous work, signifies, namely that the Lord will deliver again the book, by divine means and the words thereof, also by divine means, to the book's unlearned translator. The Hebrew yasap plus verb idiom lies at the heart of that idea. Nephi further prophesies, Then shall the Lord God say unto him, The learned shall not read them, for they have rejected them, and I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore thou shalt read the words which I shall give unto thee. 2 Nephi 27.20 One way of understanding this prophecy is that the words of the book would come into English translation as words which I should give unto thee, i.e., through divinely given translation, cf. the gift and power of God, Omni one twenty. Midrashic use number four. Then shalt thou seal up the book again. Second Nephi twenty seven, twenty two through twenty three. Nephi's Midrash of Isaiah twenty nine in Second Nephi twenty seven does something unusual for Midrash in that it addresses the future translator of the book that is sealed directly in the second person. That translator, of course, was Joseph Smith. Interestingly, Nephi records that the Lord gave the translator a commandment that, if given or rendered in Hebrew, would have plausibly used the verbal idiom from which the translator's name is derived, Yasap Yasip. Therefore, when thou hast read the words which I have commanded thee, and obtained the witness which I have promised unto thee, then shalt thou seal up the book again, cf. Hebrew, Tosip, and hide it up unto me, that I may preserve the words which thou hast not read, until I see fit in mine own wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. For behold, I am God, and I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I work not among the children of men, save it be according to their faith. Second Nephi 27, 22-23 Nephi may have originally recorded the instruction, Thou shalt again, with the verb, Tosip, thou shalt again, or with an Egyptian scribal equivalent. We recall that the name Joseph, Yosep, constitutes a hypocoristic theophoric name with God, or a God, as the implied subject of the verb Yasap, may he, God, add, may he do something again, etc. Here the text makes the translator, Joseph, a more concrete part of the ongoing and unfolding iterative divine action. The Lord's self-description, I am a God of miracles, also directly refers to and recalls the Lord's proceeding to do a marvelous work, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. One can render the phrase marvelous work and a wonder as a miraculous miracle, as Russell M. Nelson has recently rendered it. Midrashic use number five, and again it shall come to pass, 
Second Nephi 27:24, and Second Nephi 27:25, corresponding to Isaiah 29:13. Nephi's in-depth midrash of Isaiah 29 in Second Nephi 27 employs another important idiomatic description of iterative divine action, again pointing to the name Joseph. Nephi declares, "And again it, cf Hebrew Yosep, shall come to pass, cf Lehiot." that the Lord shall say unto him that shall read the words that shall be delivered him. Nephi's phraseology here seems to approximate that of Genesis 4.2, and she again, Watosep, bare his brother Abel, or, and again she bore his brother Abel. Genesis 8.10. And again he, Yosep, sent forth the dove out of the ark. And Second Samuel 24.1. And again, Yosep, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. If so, we have another example of deliberate wordplay on the name Joseph. Nephi thus prophesies that the Lord would quote Isaiah 29.13 to the future Joseph, translator of the sealed book. And again it shall come to pass that the Lord shall say unto him that shall read the words that shall be delivered him, For as much as this people draw near unto me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Second Nephi 27, 24-25, quoting Isaiah 29:13. Indeed, the prophet Joseph Smith reported that the Lord concatenated a quotation of Isaiah 29:13 and Second Timothy 3, 5 as part of his first vision. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, Isaiah 29.13, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, Second Timothy 3.5, Joseph Smith, History 119. As it turns out, the confluence of the Lord's description of apostasy and hypocrisy in Isaiah 29.13 with the participial use of the verb form Yosip in Isaiah 29.14 matches well the theophanic events that precipitate the restoration of the gospel, the coming forth of the sealed book, the Book of Mormon, and the gathering of Israel, all the marvelous work, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. According to Joseph Smith's 1832 account of his first vision, the Lord first called Joseph by name, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven thee. In his 1835 account of that vision, Joseph clarifies that God the Father appeared first, and that Jesus spoke the aforementioned words. Joseph Smith's 1838 canonized account of the first vision further reveals that the first word that God the Father spoke also was Joseph. Thus, to sum up, God the Father introduced his beloved son. Joseph, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Then Jesus said, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Jesus then quoted Isaiah 29.13 and 2 Timothy 3.5. The emphasis on Joseph's personal name, then, seems significant in the context of Isaiah 29.14 and Yahweh preceding, Yosip, to do a marvelous work. Joseph Smith's account of Moroni's appearances to him on September 21st through 22nd, 1823, also stressed that Moroni began his conversations with him speaking his first name, Joseph. Joseph Smith History, 133 and 49. 
The emphasis on Joseph's name in the first vision and during Moroni's visitations seems particularly appropriate given Isaiah's use of Yosip in Isaiah 29.14 and Nephi's midrashic permutations of that idiom. From Latter-day Saint perspective, we would further see with Nephi the Lord's proceeding, Yosip, to do a marvelous work in the first vision and his proceeding to bring forth the words of the book via Moroni's ministrations, as the moments when the prophecy of Isaiah 11.11 began to be fulfilled. Quote, the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, to recover the remnant of his people. See again Second Nephi 25.17, 21, and 29.1. Midrashic use number six. I will proceed to do a marvelous work. Second Nephi 27:26 corresponding to Isaiah 29:14 and Second Nephi 9:43. After several interpretive adaptations of the Yasap idiom from Isaiah 29:14, Nephi finally quotes the passage in full in Second Nephi 27:26. A side-by-side comparison of the two passages, however, reveals some important differences. Isaiah 29:14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Second Nephi 27.26 Therefore, I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise and learned shall perish and the understanding of their prudent shall be hid. The first distinct difference is the lack of the particle behold in Second Nephi 27.26. However, the idiom underlying behold I will proceed, hinani yosip, can be rendered essentially the same way, yet without representing the particle hine plus ni in English with the particle behold. It is also interesting, if not significant, that the translated Book of Mormon text here does not replicate King James Version's use of even, an italicized term that the King James Version translators supplied, i.e., it is not present in the underlying Hebrew text. Instead, the text uses the emphatic particle, yea. It is possible that Nephi, recognizing the abruptness of the polyptonic appositional phrase haple wapele, Marvelous work and a wonder, added a particle of his own, rendered yea in the Book of Mormon text. Or, like even in the King James Version, it too may have been supplied according to the context. A more significant textual variant occurs in the next phrase. Nephi's text expands the construction, the wisdom of their wise, to the wisdom of their wise and learned. This expansion ensures that the reader understands that the type of wisdom that will perish will include that of the learned, mentioned earlier in his Midrash, 2 Nephi 27, 15-20. Moreover, in using this expanded construction, Nephi also recalls Jacob's earlier use of the expression, the wise and the learned, in the speech in which he interpreted Isaiah 48-49, through 2 Nephi 6-10, through as preserved by Nephi himself. And whoso knocketh, to him will he open. And the wise and the learned, and they that are rich, who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom and their riches, yea, they are they whom he despiseth. 
and save they shall cast these things away, and consider themselves fools before God, and come down in the depths of humility, he will not open unto them. But the things of the wise and the prudent shall be hid from them forever. Yea, that happiness which is prepared for the saints. Second Nephi 9.42-43 Jacob's prediction that the things of the wise and the prudent shall be hid from them forever appears to quote or paraphrase Isaiah 29.14 The wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. This indicates that Jacob had a version of Isaiah 29.14 in mind in his previous use of the phrase, the wise and the learned, and perhaps suggests that the wise and the learned existed in the version of Isaiah 29 that Nephi and Jacob had on the brass plates. Midrashic use number 7. And the meek also shall increase, and their joy shall be in the Lord. 2 Nephi 27.30, corresponding to Isaiah 29.19. Just as Isaiah 29.19 represents a climactic moment in Isaiah's prophecy of the sealed book, Nephi's use and adaptation of this text in his Midrash of Isaiah 29 also stands as a climactic moment. Nephi's text also renders Isaiah's text here somewhat differently. Isaiah 29.19 The meek also shall increase, weospu, their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. 2 Nephi 27.30 And the meek also shall increase, weospu, and their joy shall be in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Nephi's Midrash makes the verb yasap an intransitive verb, i.e. a verb with no object, rather than reading joy as the object. Thus, while Nephi emphasizes that the joy of the meek will be in the Lord, he stresses particularly that the meek shall increase, not simply in just that one sense. The book that Yahweh would, Yosip, add, proceed to bring forth as a miraculous miracle through a Latter-day Joseph, would enable and empower the meek to yasop, to add or increase in manifold senses. Much could be written here on the class of persons called the meek, or the anawim, derived from the verb ana, which can mean to humble, afflict, or even rape somebody. Numerous Hebrew Bible passages reflect a special concern for the anawim and their plight. An earlier prophecy by Isaiah that Nephi particularly ties to Isaiah 29 declares that the messianic figure would reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, anawe aresh, Isaiah 11.4, a passage that Nephi quotes two other times, in 2 Nephi 21.4 and 2 Nephi 39. Jesus famously quotes the promise of Psalm 37.11, the meek shall inherit the earth, in his beatitude in Matthew 5.5, 3 Nephi 12.5, see also especially D&C 88.17. Jacob and Nephi make additional references to the Anawim in 2 Nephi 9.30, they despise the poor and they persecute the meek. And Second Nephi 28.13, they rob the poor because of their fine clothing and they persecute the meek and the poor in heart, texts which both appear to have connections to Isaiah 29.14. Midrashic use number 8. We need no more of the word of God. Second Nephi 28.29, 2 Nephi 28.2-32, corresponding to Isaiah 28.10, 13, 29, 13, 15, and 21. 
even after offering a thoroughgoing midrash of the text of Isaiah 29 in 2 Nephi 27, Nephi continues to explicate several aspects of that text in the chapters that follow. A statement in 2 Nephi 28.2 suggests that the sealed book of Isaiah 29 and 2 Nephi 27 remains Nephi's overarching topic for 2 Nephi 28-30. The things, words, which shall be written out of the book shall be of great worth unto the children of men, and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel, 2 Nephi 28.2. In 2 Nephi 28.3-30, Nephi revisits the conditions of apostasy described in Isaiah 29 and 2 Nephi 27, using language from his vision of the great and abominable church, 1 Nephi 12-14. He also incorporates additional images from Isaiah, e.g., let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die, Isaiah 22.13. At the end of this description of widespread apostasy, Nephi issues woe oracles against those who reject additional light and truth from God. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, We have received, and we need no more. 2 Nephi 28.27 And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Woe be unto him that shall say, We have received the word of God, and we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. Second Nephi 28.29 Nephi thus draws an emphatic contrast between the meek, who shall increase, or who shall have more, and those who say, We have received, we need no more. Second Nephi 28.27 Or worse, we have received the word of God, and we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. 2 Nephi 28.29 These objections arise from the same Gentiles, 2 Nephi 28.32, who are the wise and the learned and the rich, that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts, verse 15, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught, verse 16, quoting Isaiah 29.21, and rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries and their fine clothing, and they persecute the meek, meek in Hebrew anoim, and the poor in heart, because in their pride they are puffed up. Verse 13. The declarations, We have received and need no more, and We need no more of the word of God, invert the language of Isaiah 29.14, 2 Nephi 27, I will proceed, Yosip, and, to do a marvelous work, and 2 Nephi 27.14, I will proceed, Yosip, to bring forth the words of the book, as if somehow the human desire for canon and status quo could perchance thwart the divine intention to bring forth additional scripture. Midrashic use number nine. Unto him that receiveth I will give more. Second Nephi 28.30, corresponding to Isaiah 28.10 and 13. Nephi further permutes and broadens his interpretation of Isaiah 29.14 and the idea of divine adding with his use of Isaiah 28.10 and 28.13. There, Isaiah describes the forthcoming of additional divine commandments or precepts in terms of building. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. But the word of the Lord was unto them, or came unto them, precept upon precept, 
precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Isaiah 28, 10 and 13. Although Isaiah describes a process of divine revelation that leads to the eventual fall of Jerusalem and Judah, cf. Jacob 4, Nephi sees the Lord's line-upon-line method of offering additional revelation and scripture as a process from which the righteous can benefit. For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line-upon-line, precept-upon-precept, here a little and there a little, and blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth I will give more, i.e., unto him that receiveth I will add, cf. Hebrew Yosip. And from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Second Nephi 28.30 Again, the name Joseph denotes, May he, God, add or with more epistemic modality, he will add. Here, the Lord promises to give more, i.e., to add more, to those who hearken to his precepts, or receive what he has already given. An idiomatic parallel from the Hebrew Bible comes from the prophet Nathan's confronting David after the latter illicitly took Bathsheba for himself and had her husband killed. Nathan declared, And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given, weosipah, unto thee such and such things. 2 Samuel 12.8 The idiom rendered, I would moreover have given, here literally means, I would have added. Similarly, at the end of the book of Job, the narrator states that, the Lord gave, way Yosep, added to, Job twice as much as he had before, Job 42.10. In other words, the Lord gave Job more. That appears to be the idiom Nephi's oracle uses. Another intimation that Nephi is specifically thinking in terms of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies is that Nephi's oracle also quotes and co-opts the language of Isaiah 28. For precept must be upon precept, Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Isaiah 28:10 and 13. It also seems very likely that Nephi saw in Isaiah's language a verbal picture of divine adding. Against the backdrop of the Lord's statement, Unto him that receiveth will I give more, and from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Second Nephi 28.30 It is interesting to consider Moroni's words to the Lord in Ether 12.35 Wherefore I know by this thing which thou hast said, that if the Gentiles have not charity because of our weakness, that thou wilt prove them and take away their talent, yea, even that which they have received, and give unto them who shall have more abundantly. Both prophetic statements have the Latter-day Gentiles particularly in view. See Second Nephi 29 and below. And both statements revolve around the issue of being willing to have more, and the Lord's willingness to give it.
Thus, in the broader context of 2 Nephi 25-30, Nephi's allusion to divine adding in 2 Nephi 28-30 contributes to the symbolism of the name Joseph in terms of those who are willing to receive all that the Lord is willing to add. Midrash accused number 10. At that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them, 2 Nephi 25.17.29.1, corresponding to Isaiah 29.14. Nephi then pivots back to Isaiah 29.14 yet again. Here in 2 Nephi 29.1, Nephi's second Gezerah Shoah on Isaiah 11.11 and Isaiah 29.14 occurs, and he cites these passages as an oracle from the Lord himself. In this instance, the order of the two passages is reversed, another example of Seidel's law. But behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among them, that I may remember my covenants which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again, Yosip Yadi, C.F. Yosip Yadi, the second time to recover my people, Isaiah 11.11, which are of the house of Israel, Second Nephi 29.1. The oracle rewords the phraseology of Isaiah 11.11 from the third person into the first person, that I may set my hand again the second time. This has the practical effect of emphasizing the Lord's intimate personal involvement in initiating and carrying on the work of the gathering of Israel. We might cite the Lord's personal visitation to Joseph Smith, which represents a concrete example of what Isaiah meant by his use of Yosip Yado. Isaiah 11.11, and Hinani Yosip, Isaiah 29.14. Moreover, another practical effect of beginning this Gezerah Shoah with the Isaiah 29.14 is that the Lord's proceeding, or adding, to do a marvelous work, makes the Lord's initiation of the marvelous work in hindsight, the first vision, Moroni's subsequent visitations, and the forthcoming of the sealed book, the Nephite records, the departure point for the gathering of Israel. Nephi's and the Lord's repeated interpretation of Isaiah 11.11 and Isaiah 29.14 in light of each other signifies that no gathering of Israel would take place without the coming forth of the sealed book, eventually the Book of Mormon. Indeed, the express purpose of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon is the gathering of Israel. Midrashic use number 11. There cannot be any more Bible. 2 Nephi 29, 2-3 corresponding to Isaiah 5, 26, 11, 11 through 12, CF 2 Nephi 29, 4, and 6 through 7. Nephi next records a significant permutation of the idea that the Lord will add or will proceed to do a marvelous work by adding or proceeding to bring forth the words of the book. In the immediate context of the aforementioned Gezerah Shoah on Isaiah 29.14, I shall proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work, and Isaiah 11, that I may set my hand again, Weosip Yadi, the Lord predicts that the Gentiles will respond to these added words from the book that is sealed with the declaration, A Bible, a Bible, we have got a Bible, and there cannot be any more Bible. Second Nephi 29.3 in their present context, these words amount to an obtuse and ill-conceived refutation of the prophecies of Isaiah 29.14 and Isaiah 11.11. But they also represent a deceptive misinterpretation and misapplication of so-called canon formula, 
Passages like Deuteronomy 4.2, CF5, Proverbs 36, and Revelation 22.18-20. These passages constitute injunctions against adding to or diminishing from individual scriptural books or works and serve to delimit their content as future scribes copied them. In all of the aforementioned passages from the Hebrew Bible, the verb yasap, add, is the key term. Much more could be said on this topic that I cannot enter into here, see further below. However, it suffices for the present to say that none of these passages remotely preclude the writing, collection, and preservation of divine oracles in the future or the production of additional individual works of Scripture. Through Nephi, the Lord asks the Gentiles, especially Gentiles of the latter day, several penetrating questions, anticipating the aforementioned protests against additional works of Scripture. The first of these questions pertains to the anti-Jewish, i.e. anti-Semitic, attitudes and assumptions of those who insist that there cannot be any more Bible. But thus saith the Lord God, O fools, they shall have a Bible, and it shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. And what thank they, Yodu et Hayehudim, the Jews, for the Bible which they receive from them? Yea, what do the Gentiles mean? Do they remember the travails and the labors and the pains of the Jews, and their diligence unto me in bringing forth salvation unto the Gentiles? Second Nephi 29.4 As noted elsewhere, the Lord's question, And what thank they the Jews, constitutes a wordplay on the name Judah, Jews, a name the Hebrew Bible associates with the verb Y-D-Y, Y-D-H, to praise, thank, or acknowledge, or to praise out of a feeling of gratitude. The Lord expresses indignation toward Gentiles, perhaps especially Gentile Christians, at the hypocrisy of declaring the all-sufficiency of scriptural texts whose authors' ethnic and religious origins many of the Gentiles revile. In any case, the writing, collection, and preservation of scripture in times previous to Nephi's time, during Nephi's time, and in the future, i.e. additional scripture, would occur through the travails and the labors and the pains and the diligence of the Jews. The Lord continues, Thou fool that shall say, A Bible, we have got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. Have ye obtained a Bible, save it were by the Jews? Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Know ye not that I, the Lord your God, have created all men, and that I remember those who are upon the isles of the sea, and that I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath? And I bring forth my word unto the children of men, yea, even upon all the nations of the earth. Second Nephi 29, 6-7 Here again we can clearly recognize the thematic and lexical connections between Isaiah 29:14 and Nephi's Midrash of Isaiah 29. Bearing in mind that the verb yasap means to add, to do again, or to do something more, the declaration, We need no more, Bible evokes the promise, I will proceed, Yosef, add, to do a marvelous work. In Nephi's earlier midrash of Isaiah 29.14, The Lord God shall proceed, Yosef, add, to bring forth the words of the book, Second Nephi 27.24. The phrase, And I bring forth my word unto the children of men, Second Nephi 29.7, recalls Nephi's earlier prophetic midrash on Isaiah, wherefore the Lord God will proceed, Yosip, to bring forth the words of the book, Second Nephi 27.14, as well as Joseph the patriarch's prophecy regarding a future raised-up seed named Joseph. 
but a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins, and not to the bringing forth of my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them. 2 Nephi 3.11 Midrashic use number 12 Wherefore murmur ye because that ye shall receive more of my word? 2 Nephi 29.8-9 The penetrating questions subsequently continue as the Lord returns to the issue of Gentile complaints about the bringing forth of additional scripture. Nephi's oracle frames receiving more of God's word in terms of the Deuteronomic Law of Witnesses. See Deuteronomy 17.6.19.15. One witness, according to that law, is insufficient to establish a word or matter. Hebrew Debar. Wherefore murmur ye, because that ye shall receive more of my word? Know ye not that the testimony of two nations is a witness unto you, that I am God, that I remember one nation like unto another? Wherefore I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another. And when the two nations shall run together, the testimony of the two nations shall run together also. And I do this that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I speak forth my words according to mine own pleasure. And because that I have spoken one word, ye need not suppose that I cannot speak another. For my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be until the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. Second Nephi 29, 8-9 The expression, because that ye shall receive more of my word, plausibly represents an idiom like because that ye shall add tosipu or tosipu to receive of my word, partitive. Nephi's return to the motif of the law of witnesses here, as in Second Nephi 11 and 27, expands the idea of more scripture or additional scripture in terms of Deuteronomy's legal requirement for two or three witnesses in capital cases. Deuteronomy 19.15, CF 17.6. Indeed, legal language permeates the second Nephi twenty nine eight through nine witness, testimony, and prove. The Lord's words, as preserved by Nephi, recall Nephi's earlier appeal to Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen, and now I Nephi write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words, for I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send them forth unto all my children, for he verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. Wherefore, by the words of three, God hath said, I will establish my word. Nevertheless, God sendeth more witnesses, and he proveth all his words. Second Nephi 11, 2-3 Here in Second Nephi 29, 8-9, as in Second Nephi 11, 2-3, Nephi transmutes the application of the Deuteronomic Law of Witnesses, Deuteronomy 17, 6, and 19:15, into a form of adding, or writing more, scripture. Scriptural writers, and even scriptural writings themselves, become witnesses in the Lord's legal cases with the human family, including final judgment. See especially Second Nephi 33.14. Nephi's interpretation of the coming forth of additional scripture as an application of the Deuteronomic Law of Witnesses represents another example of his sophisticated use of scripture. Midrashic use number 13. Neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. Second Nephi twenty nine ten through fourteen. 
The Lord's Oracle to Nephi uses yet another Midrashic permutation of the Yasap idiom in Isaiah 29.14, in which he further demolishes two common misassumptions. A. That the Bible as embraced by the Gentiles, including Latter-day Gentile Christians, would contain all divinely inspired writing, and b. that the Lord himself would never add or bring forth more divine writing beyond human notions of a closed canon. Wherefore, because that ye have a Bible, ye need not suppose that it contains all my words, neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. For I command all men, both in the east and in the west, and in the north and in the south, and in the islands of the sea, that they shall write the words which I speak unto them. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world, every man according to their works, according to that which is written. For behold, I shall speak unto the Jews, and they shall write it, and I shall speak unto the Nephites, and they shall write it, and I shall also speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it. And it shall come to pass that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews, and the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel, and the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. And it shall come to pass that my people, which are of the house of Israel, shall be gathered home unto the lands of their possessions. And my word also shall be gathered in one. And I will show unto them that fight against my word and against my people, who are of the house of Israel, that I am God, and that I covenanted with Abraham that I would remember his seed forever. Second Nephi 29.10-14 The presupposition that the Lord will not, or does not, add to existing scripture from any arbitrary point in time represents a gross misunderstanding of texts like Deuteronomy 4.2, Ye shall not add, lotosipu, unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Deuteronomy 5.22, Masoretic Text 5.18 these words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, and he added no more, well, O Yasap. And he wrote them in two tables of stone, and delivered them unto me. Deuteronomy 12.32, Masoretic Text 13.1 What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add, lotosep, thereunto, nor diminish from it. Revelation 22:18-19, etc., the so-called canon formula. This will be treated in much greater depth elsewhere. Each of these Deuteronomic iterations of the canon formula, if taken out of context and interpreted literally, might be construed as precluding any additional Deuteronomic text, to say nothing of additional books of Scripture. It is sufficient to note here, however, that the verb yasap stands at the heart of the Hebrew Bible texts that preclude human alteration of divine revelation, as well as those that describe the forthcoming of additional scripture in terms of iterative divine action. It is divine prerogative, of course, rather than human, that governs the coming forth of additional revelation in scripture. Note how the verb yasap also functions in the book of Jeremiah's account of Jehoiakim's attempted suppression of divine revelation. 
after Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had ordered burned a prophecy by the prophet Jeremiah that he disliked. See Jeremiah 36, 1-26. The Lord ordered the burned scroll to be reproduced with additional material. See Jeremiah 36, 27-31. The pericope concludes with the following statement. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire. And there were added, Nosop, besides unto them many like words. Jeremiah 36.22 The result of the attempted suppression of divine written revelation was more or additional revelation. Again, the name Joseph transparently means, may he, God, add. A greater irony in view of what Isaiah 29.14 foretells in terms of the Lord adding, Yosip, to bring forth written scripture, and in view of what Joseph Smith's critics charge him with, is scarcely imaginable. It is accurate to say that the bringing forth of additional divine revelation, especially scriptural revelation, constituted Joseph Smith's life's work most appropriate for someone named Joseph. We should also note here Nephi's further development of the idea of additional scripture as fulfillment of the Deuteronomic Law of Witnesses, Deuteronomy 19.15, CF 17.6. The Jews, the Nephites, and the other tribes of Israel shall write the words which I shall speak unto them. Here Nephi further records that the Lord's statement that out of these scriptural books the Lord would judge the world. In other words, each independent scriptural witness becomes a witness at the final judgment, fulfilling the requirement of two or three witnesses. Nephi makes this point even more explicit at the close of his writings, 2 Nephi 33.14. Last, Nephi's revelation warns those that fight against my word and against my people that the Lord will remember his covenant with Abraham, Those who fight against the Lord's word and against his people become the equivalent of those who fight against Zion, Isaiah 29, 1-2 and 7-8, and thus subject to the woes and consequences pronounced upon those who fight against the Lamb of God, 1 Nephi 14.13, and fight against God and the people of his church, 2 Nephi 25.14, cf. 2 Nephi 26.12. Midrashic use number 14. Written unto the Gentiles and sealed up again. Second Nephi 33, corresponding to Second Nephi 27:14 and 22, corresponding to Isaiah 29:14. Second Nephi 27:30, corresponding to Isaiah 29:19. Cf. Second Nephi 30:17 through 18. The final example or final examples of the midrashic use of Yasap comes in Second Nephi 30. Nephi closes out his Midrash of Isaiah 29 with a prophecy that again evokes the language of Isaiah's prophecy. And now I would prophesy somewhat more concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. For after the book of which I have spoken shall come forth and be written unto the Gentiles and sealed up again unto the Lord, there shall be many which shall believe the words which are written, and they shall carry them forth unto the remnant of our seed. Second Nephi 33. Nephi's expression, I would prophesy somewhat more, represents a near inversion of a statement that occurs in the book of Amos, when Amaziah, the priest at Bethel, demands that the prophet Amos prophesy not again any more. 
Lotosip od Lehenabe at Bethel. Amos 7.13. Nephi's plausible use of the Yasap idiom thus dovetails nicely with what follows. His subsequent statement that the book of which I have spoken, i.e., the words of the book that is sealed, would be written unto the Gentiles and sealed up again, specifically recalls the commandment given unto the translator, i.e., Joseph Smith, Then shalt thou seal up the book again, in Second Nephi 27.22, which itself appears to adapt or permute the Yasap idiom used in Isaiah 29.14. The Lord proceeds, Yosip, to do a marvelous work, that is, proceeds, Yosip, to bring forth the words of the book, Second Nephi 27.14. And after the book comes forth, the Lord commanded the translator, the future Joseph, to seal up the book again, Hebrew Tosip, Shalt thou again, or thou shalt again. Second Nephi 27.22 Again, Nephi prophetically alludes to the future translator's name, Joseph, his instrumentality in the Lord's proceeding, Yosip, and the details of what that marvelous work, or marvelous work and a wonder, involved. Moreover, the phrase, the words which are written, alludes to Nephi's adaptation of Isaiah 29.14, foretelling the Lord's proceeding, Yosip, to bring forth the words of the book. It also echoes the description, the things which shall be written, 2 Nephi 28.2. Moreover, the phrase, there shall be many which shall believe the words which are written, refers to the meek, who will increase, Isaiah 29.19, 2 Nephi 27.30. The meek will increase, in part, by service of those who carry them, i.e. the words which are written, forth unto the remnant of our seed, Second Nephi 33. Nephi concludes his lengthy midrash and commentary on Isaiah 29 with the following prophecy. There is nothing which is secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. Wherefore, all things which have been revealed unto the children of men shall at that day be revealed. And Satan shall have power over the hearts of the children of men no more for a long time. And now, my beloved brethren, I make an end of my sayings. Second Nephi 30:17-18. Nephi reminds us that all sealed documents on the earth and their contents will be revealed, including, of course, the sealed book that he discussed at length, and eventually all of its contents. One practical effect of having all things which have been revealed, being revealed, again, will be that Satan shall no more, cf. Hebrew lo yosip, have power over the human family. Nephi thus recalls his earlier citation of the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied that the time speedily cometh that Satan shall have no more power over the children of men. 1 Nephi 22.15, C.F. Isaiah 52.1, 2 Nephi 8.24, 3 Nephi 20.36. See also Isaiah 51.22, 2 Nephi 8.24. The blessings promised in Isaiah 11.1-9 through 9, and 2 Nephi 38-16 through 16, and Isaiah 29.17-24 will come to a full flowering. Conclusion He shall increase their seed. Helaman 7, 24, CF, Isaiah 37, 31. 
Near the end of his personal writings, and following his adumbration of the doctrine of Christ, 2 Nephi 30-31, Nephi briefly returns to the adding motif. Nephi felt unable to add or give more doctrine beyond what he had heretofore taught. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. And now I, Nephi, cannot say more. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff-neckedness of men. For they will not search knowledge, nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. Second Nephi 32, 6-7 Again and again, Nephi expresses his deep concern over the future of his posterity and that of his brothers, and that portion of his posterity who would survive among the Lamanites, all descendants of Joseph. Nephi recognized that unbelief, wickedness, and ignorance, including hardness of heart, such as would exist among the Latter-day Gentiles, inevitably precluded the reception of additional revelation. Nephi and his successors, rather, hoped that their posterity as descendants of Joseph would believe and obey the additional scripture claim, the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, regardless of whether the Gentiles accepted such scripture. As the psalmist declared in one of Israel's temple hymns, The Lord shall increase you more and more, Yosep Alekim, you and your children, Psalm 115.14. Similarly, Moses reiterated to Israel, The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more, Yosep Alakim, add upon you, as ye are, and bless you as he hath promised you. Deuteronomy 1.11 But Nephi and his successors knew that such covenant promises and blessings did not amount to covenant entitlements. Nephi, the son of Helaman, testified against the degenerate Nephites of his time, prophesying that the Lord would increase the seed of their Josephite brethren, the Lamanites, well beyond the destruction of the Nephites. For behold, they are more righteous than you, for they have not sinned against that great knowledge which ye have received. Therefore the Lord will be merciful unto them. Yea, he will lengthen out their days and increase their seed." even when thou shalt be utterly destroyed, except thou shalt repent. Helaman 7.24 The Lord leaves a remnant that perchance the descendants of the destroyed will return and repent, as Isaiah so often testified, and the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again, weyasepa, take root downward and bear fruit upward. Isaiah 37.31 The Lord will give more, to those who willingly receive that which he offers and obey that which he commands. The Lord has added, or proceeded, Yosip, to bring forth additional scripture, Isaiah 29.14, 2 Nephi 27.14 and 26, so that the meek can increase, weyospu, their joy in the Lord, Isaiah 29.19, or so that the meek also shall increase, weyospu, and their joy shall be in the Lord, 2 Nephi 27.30. The blessings in store for those who persistently receive what the Lord adds and obey it until the end of their lives can be summed up no better than the Lord does in the premortal council in heaven as recorded in the book of Abraham. They who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon.
their heads forever and ever. Abraham 3.26 The author would like to thank Robert F. Smith, Daniel C. Peterson, Alan Wyatt, and Victor Worth for their contributions to this article. In memoriam, John A. Tvetnis, 1941-2018, and Stephen E. Robinson, 1947-2018. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orm, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an assistant professor in religious education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of And the Meek Shall Also Increase, the verb Yasap in Isaiah 29, and Nephi's prophetic allusions to the name Joseph in 2 Nephi 25-30, by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, A Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 30, 2018, read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.